0: So 2021, can we start saying 21 now? And like, when is it going to happen when we can just start say, you know, 32 instead of like 2032? I don't know. Anyway, 2021 has been very much a year for me about diving into my unconscious and diving into my shadow elements of myself. A lot of that has been private and personal, but I've shared a lot of that on this podcast. And this episode in particular, I want to talk about. How to introspect, how to dive into yourself, how to dive into the mental canals of your brain and pull some of that stuff out. Maybe not necessarily shadow stuff, but maybe noticing a little everyday things. And I think one of the books that I think can help is a book called Subliminal by Leonard M- M- Mlodinow. I'm not sure how to say that, but it's M-L-O-D-I-N-O-W. And I started reading that book before I learned that I have dyslexia and I was having a hard time getting through it, not because of the book, but because of my dyslexia. And it's really powerful about understanding subliminal messaging, understanding all of the unconscious information we take in around us. So I think it's a really powerful book for you to check out if you go to audibletrial.com dopamine, D-O-P-E-A-M-I-N-E. And if you sign up for the audio version of that book and sign up for audit for audible, Through that link, then we get a kickback here at Dopamine, and that really helps to support the channel and to support everything that we're doing here with Dopamine. And I realized for myself that introspection is something that I personally um, have been doing all of my life, not just as an introvert, which we're going to cover in the podcast, but as someone who is doing deliberate growth work. So if you're someone who is deliberately doing growth work, first of all, listen to this podcast, but then after this podcast, go to audibletrial.com slash dopamine, D-O-P-E-A-M-I-N-E, search for the book Subliminal by Leonard Mladenow, and dive a little bit deeper, and that's going to be something that's really going to be useful for you. So with all that said, let's hit the button and get started with the show. Hello there. Welcome back to dopamine. I am C note, aka Christian Rivera. And today I wanted to talk about, I really ask the question, like how to introspect, how do we introspect? How do we ask questions of ourselves? How do we explore our inner consciousness? How do we explore ourselves? How do we think about ourselves and truly think about ourselves or truly get curious about ourselves? And so I'm going to try to cover this in in a fairly efficient way, but because I've got some notes and I've got some ways that I want to address this. Uh, And so let's just kick it off right away. And it really starts with that node of wanting to have or having a curiosity about yourself, having a curiosity about how you work, how you internally operate. Because I've talked about on previous podcasts that We're a very complex inner system. We are a complex chemical factory of things that are happening inside our mind, inside our body. There are nerves. There are chemical responses. There are all sorts of triggers and needs and intelligences. You know, your body is processing the food that you're eating and you don't have to think about it. That's an intelligence that's happening in your body. Your cells have a memory of your ancestors and that is what formed the way that you look. Uh, and so there's, there's a lot of complexity around that. And so there's not only curiosities about those things in sort of like a spiritual essence kind of way, but curiosities about yourself in terms of like, why did I do that? Or why do I think this? Or, or why do these thoughts capture my attention and not these thoughts? Why do I feel this way much of the time? And maybe not this way, or is there a bias that I have towards this type of thinking versus that type of thinking? And it starts with that kind of curiosity and genuinely being curious about yourself as a human being and i think that leads a lot of people to starting to understand uh personality or trying to understand um behavior you know there's uh ramdas talks about the different planes of existence that i think many of us view the world from and there's like the physiological world like literally looking at the world around us something that's tangible sensory but then there's maybe the psychological world, uh, like basically identities based on psychology. So I'm a sad person. I'm a happy person. I'm the type of person that does this. I'm the type of person that cares about this. I'm a very morally focused person. I'm kind of a heinous person. I, I'm a person that is, um, you know, I'm, I'm a good citizen, you know, those kinds of psychological connection points. I think that's the earliest sense of identity that we start to grab onto in some sort of way. You know, even like I'm a depressed person or I'm a sad person or I'm a, I'm a coward. I'm strong. Like any of those things can kind of attach. It's almost like, um, thinking about Star Trek, like Star Trek, the races in Star Trek or the different types of, uh, alien races tend to fixate on a type of psychology You know, you've got the Klingons that are a little bit more of a warrior race and they've got more of a Graves 3 attitude or Spiral Dynamics 3 Red attitude of just like warrior, fight, aggressive, take. And there's a lot of relationship to strength and stuff like that, too. So there's a certain psychology that is sort of used as the creation for those character tropes or character types. And so in reality, we can kind of assign ourselves to one of those things as we're kind of developing and expressing and learn, learning who we are. But then there's the, the, the typology next level where we start to notice the memes of who we are in a sense or the, the types, you know, types are memes, you know, it's like duplicates of something that are used for a different purpose. So I'm an INTP in the Myers-Briggs system but if i talk to another intp they may be thinking about different things in a different way they have different life experiences that's what makes it a meme in a way we're not an exact copy you know that it's not like we're twins and then the twin is doing something differently but in terms of typology they are a different they're like a same type but a different person different experience and so then you start thinking about the world in like in in 16 types or 12 types, if you're following astrology or nine types, if you're following Enneagram or 27 types, if you're adding the subtypes or whatever system that you're looking at the world through. And usually there's one sort of inroad. Some people follow the big five and they still kind of focus on traits and, um, stuff like that. Right. And so I wanted, I wanted to get to this point because I want to differentiate between introversion and introspection Because introversion is not introspection. Introversion is a preference or a bias of processing the world through you or processing the world internally. So you're still having a relationship with the outside world. You're trying to understand how things work. You're trying to understand um, what does or does not make sense relative to what you've experienced in the outside world. Or what fits the motivations and narratives and stories of the outside world, if you're a different type of introvert. And so those, you know, there's different types of introversion and, and all of that, depending on the systems that you look at and things like that. That's not really what we're going to cover in detail, but introspection is using those modes of being, whether that's in Myers-Briggs, like using your introverted thinking or introverted feeling or even discovering yourself through your past or discovering it through the musings that your mind can go through or the, the possibilities that your mind can explore. All of those are ways of getting to know yourself, the the introverted side of things. But introversion, again, is not introspection because you can introspect by bouncing things off of another person. You can ask a person a question of like, what are you seeing when I do this? What? What behavior comes out to you? Because one of the things that we do when we introspect is tend to make assumptions or judgments of what other people think of us. So if you watch, um, if you watch uh, competition shows, for example, there's, I find it super fascinating when you watch competition shows and you listen to the reasons why they're there. And there's usually some version of like, I need to prove myself to someone or like everybody's thinking that I'm the underdog or everybody's thinking that I'm super strong and I have a target on my back. And (laughs) you don't literally see anyone saying that to each other much of the time. And so these are sort of assumptions that are being made about how the outside world thinks of us. And Introspection is taking one layer deep, uh, going one layer deep and asking why why do I have that assumption? Why am I thinking that? Uh, what is coming up for me when I'm in a situation like this where there's a competitive frame you know and really starting to ask those questions. So it is asking questions of yourself and sometimes getting feedback from the outside world that confirms or denies what you're thinking of yourself, and then asking yourself, well, why did I think that in the first place? So there are moments where you can utilize the outside world to get some data about yourself. Because much of the time, if you're introspecting and going back into your past and trying to figure out some elements of your history of like, why did this equal this? Or why did I do this at this time? Or why do I have this reaction to this person? Or why do I feel this way when I'm around this type of person? Um, when you're going back and doing that kind of introspection and connecting the nodes to the present, that's still an external reference point. That's still, you're recalling maybe some of that personal history for yourself, but you're still referencing how that external circumstance affected you. And so... That ends up, you know, the the layers, as you unpeel the layers, as you peel back the layers, you get deeper and deeper and deeper into understanding um, some of the core elements of why or why you don't do something. So, for example, recently I've been unlocking my relationship to food. One of the biggest challenges I've had with food is overeating. I've been basically portion control for the most part. It's not necessarily gluttonous in terms of like eating all of the time. But when I have a meal, I'm overeating the meal. So I have to, I feel like I need to finish it all in one sitting. Or that when I order something, I need to order more food than I realistically need for my body. And I'm trying to calibrate to that. But I'm realizing that as I do introspection and I understand, like, why do I overeat? Why am I ordering too much food or even getting into the distinctions of like, it's not necessarily overeating. It's not gluttony in that I'm picking at things all the time or trying to get some sense of security. What I'm feeling or what I have been feeling or realize that I've been feeling is that I order more food because there's a scarcity mentality related to food, which goes back to some spiral dynamics two purple stuff from when I was a kid and children have a relationship with resource, either they're denied or given resource. And there's a lot of that because there's a dependence, you know, when you're a kid, you're depending on your parents or, uh, what's around you, your tribe to, to have things come to you, to have food and resources and toys or whatever. And at some point you could be denied that or given that, and you don't really have control over that. So I realized when I was diving into my personal history, that I had a relationship with food that I wasn't sure if there was going to be more coming. So I would eat all of the food on my plate just to sort of like hoard or store resources. And, um, I I realized that I had a fear and a deep internal fear that I was afraid that more wasn't coming or that I would not be able to get more in the future. So that if I ordered just enough, if I ordered like a small salad or something that I actually wanted, that I wouldn't be able to get more. Now I'm not entirely sure of the exact circumstances, that led to that though. I know typically I grew up, you know, when I was really little, we didn't have a lot of money. Um, it was very much like I eat everything that's on your plate sort of mentality. Um, I didn't feel like I could waste anything. Right. And I very much realized that I had a relationship to that. So Molly, for example, would throw away, she had a better relationship with it when she was like, she's done eating, she's done eating. And she just throws away the rest, or if it's enough to save, she'll save it. Um, but I realized that she's throwing away food. I'm like, no, don't throw it away. I'll eat that. <laughs> and I'm like, freaking out. I'm like, why am I freaking out? Why am I having this like nervous system response to that? And so I kept exploring that. And I realized that, that, that there's a relationship to that. And so noticing that I have a relationship to that. Now I can realize that when I'm feeling that it's not about denying the feeling because the feeling happening. But when the feeling is happening, I can self-soothe in the way that a parent would soothe their child. I can soothe my inner child, essentially, and say that, look, I'm an adult. I know how to make more money. I know how to, like, there's more food. There's more options. Or I'll have another opportunity to try this again. This isn't my last time. Or that if I get this thing, this little bit, just because I want the taste of something or because I want enough that if I do want more, I can get more. I'm an adult. I can choose to get more. <laughs> and so there is a self-soothing process to that and a active conscious reminder to that unconscious childhood fear that I'm not going to get more or that I can't get more and that I can actually do something about that, that I have the tools to do that, that I am an adult and then I am equipped to do that. So that's like kind of an example of sort of some personal shadow introspection that I've been doing lately and um, really helps me with that. And so I realized too, that when the, the way that I can start to notice some of the things that are happening are noticing specifically when a couple of things occur, so through the Enneagram, for example, I've realized that my ego and I've noticed in others around me as well. Ego tends to activate in more of a pure state when experiencing HALT, H-A-L-T, or hunger, anger, loneliness, or tiredness, right? So when you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, um, it's first of all, noticing that you're having an ego response. So I think it is helpful to know your Enneagram type, your Enneagram subtype, because this has been at least my inroad to noticing, like when I'm in an ego response, when I'm developing resentment or I'm starting to feel angry or irritable, uh, as an Enneagram one, I'm noticing those feelings or those, that, that notion coming up within me, like that feeling of like, uh, feeling irritable or restless. And so I can now ask myself that question, am I hungry? Am I angry? Am I lonely or am I tired? Now hunger can include physical needs, basically um, you know, food, or do I need physical connection, something like that. So it can be an emotional hunger. Um, anger can be like something needing to be processed. Do I need to express something? Do I need to get something out? Am I hoarding an emotion? Do I need to express or physically move something through my body? Do I need to exercise? Uh, loneliness can also mean, Physical loneliness, like maybe you haven't communicated with a person in a while, maybe you miss someone, maybe you're missing connection, Um, or maybe you feel a lack of purpose or there's some bigger picture thing happening there. But usually there's, in this context, it's more of a micro thing. Like, am I feeling like I need to call someone? Do I need to connect with someone? It can also mean boredom. And I'll go back to that in a second, because that's going to lead into other things. Or am I tired? Um, do I need some sleep? Do I need some rest? Do I need to lay down? Do I need to read? Do I need to self soothe, you know, in, in that sort of way. So I think it's good to ask that question. If you know your Enneagram type and you've noticed some of your tendencies in your Enneagram type, then you can start to ask yourself the question, okay, my Enneagram passion is flaring up, for example, or my behavior or some tendency is flaring up what is happening? Why is that happening? And it's usually, in my opinion, because of some relationship to being hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. And so to go back to the lonely part, there's also this relationship to boredom. I think boredom and loneliness are either really closely tied together or can easily get conflated. And I think boredom is the window into introspection because one of the challenges and one of the reasons that we we have a difficulty with introspection is because it's really hard to spend time with yourself. And again, not in an introvert way, because introverts can still very much be not accessing self. They could be passively watching TV. They could be reading books or solving problems or thinking about the world or surfing the internet um, and looking for solutions to big picture issues or trying to figure out how to piece something together. Like your, your mental activity is still preoccupied with other or something else and not necessarily self and accessing self, I think requires a comfort with boredom and a boredom can feel like loneliness. Boredom is, but I don't think boredom is exactly loneliness, but it can have the same sort of ego trigger or response. And if you're bored, you know, uh, I, I think boredom is tricky because there's in my mind, There's so much to explore in terms of not only the external reality, but within the internal reality. And if you're genuinely curious and interested about yourself, then I don't think you could ever get bored because there's always something more to explore or to notice or to ask yourself questions of. And sometimes that gets uncomfortable. And we know that gets uncomfortable, which is why boredom can feel uncomfortable, Because boredom is basically a seeking of some sort of external stimulation. Boredom is this like, give me this, give me something to keep myself preoccupied so that I don't explore the deeper parts of myself. So I don't ask myself why. So I don't figure these things out because there is an assumption that it can only go downhill from here and it will never be a good thing to explore the deep recesses of our human experience. Like, especially when you get into like shadow work later in life or whenever that comes up, like shadow work is not a great feeling. It's not, it doesn't feel good to accept or understand the, the, the human elements of what you're capable of, especially if you're identifying with being a morally good human person. Or if you're trying to fit in with a certain community and have to be a certain way to accept that maybe there are some quote unquote evil parts of you or darker parts of you or thing, parts of you that would be willing to mow someone down for something, um, that's hard to tackle. That's hard to dive into, but that if you do it slowly and you do it with care and simply start to get comfortable with sitting and waiting and being, you know, then those things won't feel as intense because it's not something you have to do every single moment of every single day. But if you're constantly fighting it, that's going to make it worse. So what I'm saying is that if you're uncomfortable with boredom and then you get into situations where you're needing to introspect or you're getting into situations where you have no choice but to be bored, which is getting harder and harder these days with access to our phones and all sorts of mental stimulation everywhere, it is imperative to get comfortable with being bored, to get comfortable with sitting, to get comfortable with the the the, the recesses of self. And I don't mean to keep saying it in like a negative way because all of these introspection opportunities and revelations can be cathartic. It can feel good. It can provide clarity. It can provide an opportunity for you to finally get it, to finally understand why someone does something or why someone thinks something and even understand, like, it, there's a curiosity too of like, what happens if I get bored? What if I'm able to stop resisting And allow my brain to just do whatever my brain needs to do, whether that's intuitively or recalling the past or whatever happens, what happens if my brain is just, if I'm just watching it, what happens if I'm just sitting and my brain just goes, I'm not making it do anything. I'm not, I'm not feeding it anything. What happens? like that's an interesting curiosity, I think on it onto itself. And I think that's the power of allowing boredom into your experience a little bit more often. So get comfortable with boredom and that takes practice. Like boredom is not an enemy of any kind. So from there, I think with that comfort with self and getting comfortable with being able to watch yourself, then you can start to really notice your behaviors. You can start to notice what creeps in when you're waiting in line? Am I feeling irritable? Why am I feeling irritable? I'm just standing here. I'm just waiting. Why am I, ah, (laughs) like you can start to explore your relationship to the past or to the future. Um, anxieties, uh, you can start to notice every little tendency, every little thing, and not to judge it. This is not about self scrutinizing in the sense that, and it may start that way. You're going to start Maybe not feeling great about it right you're like, "Why do I do this? why am I this what oh no why do i why am I this person right it's kind of it might start out that way, but the truth is not the truth but the um the what's genuinely helpful i i think I would say is that you're getting into the act of noticing of just watching, and every time you start to criticize yourself or judge yourself that's what you can kind of pull yourself back to is like, okay, but the part that's still judging myself or criticizing myself, that's still kind of like an ego thing. That's still like, a that's still me trying to control myself. And it's not about you controlling yourself. You're just noticing yourself because when you notice your tendencies, then you can start to make adjustments. You know, you can make adjustment adjustments to maybe who you interact with, maybe your environment, maybe uh, like, you're not going to change your thoughts. You're not going to change the way you're f- you feel, but maybe you can get less identified with them. You know, maybe it's less about seeing this as like everything that you are, but that you're like, okay, this happens in this situation. This happens in this situation. Maybe I just don't get into this situation or maybe I can be honest about how I feel in this situation. Maybe I can be a little bit more direct about how I feel now that I understand truly how I feel and why I feel what I'm feeling, why I'm thinking what I'm feeling or what I'm thinking. And, um, so that whole thought process is about understanding the complexities of this chemical system. It's understanding Again, why you feel the way you feel, why you think the way you think, why you do what you do. And it's not necessarily understanding by every little measure and every little detail, right? It's not about, because that's another version of self-scrutinizing, right? It's not about trying to get to the molecular level of why you do something. It's just to notice it and to notice it simply, right? Not to make it too complex, not to necessarily make yourself into a construction project or deconstruction project. It's to, or, or get caught up in like the research of it necessarily, right? This is not about doing, uh, uh, some sort of Frankenstein self-experiment. <laughs> this is just, this is just noticing. And then through the act of noticing and continuing to notice, then you'll start to naturally come up with ways that you can sort of laugh at yourself or notice it or make light of it or, or work around it. And it it has less of a grip on you. That's really the thing is like, it feels like something that's not taking over your psychology unconsciously because much of the time, most of the problems that we have in our world is because we are reacting unconsciously to someone who is reacting unconsciously to someone who is acting unconsciously. It's just this chain reaction of unconscious reaction to each other. And so understanding our, and when I say understanding I don't I should probably stop using the word understanding. When illuminating, watching, seeing the reactions that we have means that we can start to choose a response. Not choosing a response that will make us look like a good person or making, choosing a response that's going to give us the upper hand, but choosing a response that is more authentic choosing a response that gets the, gets you to where you need to get to, or, um, get yourself out of your own way, not necessarily about reactivity. And that's really one of the biggest challenges. That's the whole reason that I'm having this discussion with you and talking about this on the podcast is life. It's a lifelong journey of getting to know our reactive processes and then Not only choosing a better response, not a better response, but choosing the appropriate response, because again, that's like me catching my own Enneagram one tendencies of like wanting to have a better response or having a more, something that puts me in a better social standing. That's not what I'm talking about. It's a more appropriate response. It's what, it's, it's what is authentic. What is the response that is really me and not just my body responding or my mind or my heart, but like the essence of myself, what is something that I can really say or do in this experience or in this, um, in response to this person that perhaps stops the cycle or doesn't let their reaction become my reaction and perpetuates cycles of unconscious reactivity, you know, so being coming conscious, becoming, uh, more introspective is simply about taking responsibility and becoming aware, you know, responsibility is just the ability to respond. And up to this point, if you're just simply reacting or reacting unconsciously, you're basically saying you don't have the ability to respond or there's much of our lives that we haven't legit had the ability to properly respond. And so, you know, we spend a lot of our lives, a lot of our challenges, a lot of our troubles has been all about reactivity. It's like reacting to a person reacting to the way someone said something, the way that someone feels. Um, and is that really ours anyway? <laughs> You know, um, that can be really, uh, that could be kind of strange, you know, when you realize or feel that you're reacting to something that was not really something for you to take on anyway. It's another version of, of hoarding a feeling or a thought, right? And so various Enneagram types, for example, have, oh, oh, just dropped my keys. Um, (laughs) various Enneagram types, for example, have various versions of trying to hold on to life, trying to hoard or trying to create some sense of value by hoarding and by by injecting uh, a sense of self into the world. And usually it's that injecting of sense of self into the world that creates a disruption of flow and ends up getting, like, manipul- by manipulating the outside world, you're sometimes ending up getting in your own way and there's a lot of paradoxes there to explore and that's like a whole different thing um that gets into some 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 deeper challenges right of understanding that sometimes our own internal logic can end up biting us in the butt (laughs) you know um for me every time i'm trying so hard to be a good person it ends up harming someone else, because in order for me to be a good person, I need to make someone else a lesser of a person. That's just the way it works. Um, you know, because inherently I'm saying that we are not equal and I, I think it's not entirely wrong. I don't think there's anything. Um, I don't, I don't think that I, I'm I'm actually going to let that go because that <laughs> was starting to get into a Uh, philosophical discussion that I think would actually end up breaking what I'm talking about here, because we're talking about introspection. And in that moment, just now I had a moment of introspection where I was like, I think I'm getting into a rabbit hole. That's going to actually activate my ego more than it's going to actually give a demonstration of my ego. Um, So I think I satisfied both actually by accident, but uh, I'm just kind of letting that go and pulling back. And you see how I responded there. I had a reactivity moment where I was reacting to my, even my own self, where I was starting to talk about something that sort of activated a part of my brain. And then uh, I was just like, you know what? I chose not to just, we're not going to do that, (laughs) you know? And so to kind of wrap this up, I feel like much of what we're responding to is like online arguments. We're responding to everybody's opinions about all sorts of things around the world um, or ways to operate, ways of being. And sometimes you can choose, like, not responding is also a response. Um, But also realizing when your reaction may be something that's just not helpful for the situation. There's something that my friend Antonia Dodge from Personality Hacker says um, to not argue over neutral things. And that's something that makes sense to me, too. It's like it, it doesn't make sense for me to continue to argue about neutral things. It's like neutral things being like who did it? Like who was to blame for something? It might not even be relevant, especially when you're doing deep psychology, psychological work, trying to understand your past and like maybe blaming your parents for something. It's like, that might not even be relevant. It's like blaming your parents. uh, If there's like a point of origin that you can detect and point back at them, that just gives you an external thing to point at again and say like, well, it was their fault And then devoiding yourself of any responsibility for how you're going to respond. And that just perpetuates the cycle. That's not to say that they shouldn't take that responsibility, but that's their journey. And if you can identify the origin point of what happened for you, then you can introspect and understand your own responses or maybe understand what you needed and then what you didn't get. But then also understand, like, why did I need what I needed? (laughs) And then it gets kind of even crazier from there. Um, So it gets into, like, other weird territory. But to eventually blame something, to blame an external source, is another version of just, like, outsourcing responsibility. It's like, they should have done better. And very much, in so many cases, yeah, they should have done better. But now is your opportunity to... Sort of change the tide, right? And I think there's this hubris that we have related to the outside world, where for some reason we feel like if we change the outside world, the world, the outside world's going to change us for the better. And it, very similar to the paradox that I feel as an Enneagram one, that if I work harder, I'm going to eventually be able to rest. If I manage the external circumstances so that I can finally, eventually rest, then everything will be running smoothly. And then I get to rest. And so each Enneagram type has kind of a version of that. Um, Each personality type has a version of that. Each human being has a version of that, whether you put it into types or not, a version of trying to solve the problems of the outside world so that I myself can get what I want. And, oh boy. You can't save the world by literally always saving the outside world. And if you're able to do proper introspection, you're able to take the time to get to know yourself, you're able to stop the cycle of unconscious reactivity in its tracks by being the person that isn't going to absorb what someone else is giving to you or trying to give to you in terms of their emotional energy or their anger or their loneliness or their tiredness because they themselves don't want to introspect and they don't want to take it and they don't want to do something about it. And they don't want to take responsibility that is on them for them to do. And it's basically, you're saying you might be saying that if I change the whole world and I'm saying this, you might be thinking of this unconsciously, that if I change the world, the world will be better for me. But that's basically saying I would rather try to shift the minds and chemical factories and behaviors and feelings and experiences of 7.7 billion people or however many there are as of this recording, um, rather than be by myself, think to myself, explore my inner workings, find some sense of of, of peace or patience or bliss or calm or, or accept my anger or accept my feelings or accept a desire to connect or accept an over infatuation with like intellectual thinking, uh, whatever it is that is your stuff. It's like, I would rather the world and the circumstances change than to deal with myself when, You can't access the inner workings of another person, all of the true depth of any other person in existence. You can't change anyone's mind. It is nearly impossible. Even if you think you are, it's usually through some access point where they ended up feeling like they changed their mind for themselves. And that's therein lies the rub, (laughs) right? Is this assumption, it's an assumption that we can move the needle of the world. The only way that we can theoretically move the needle of the world is by getting everyone around a singular idea, but for everyone to get around a singular idea, there has to be an enemy. And that ends up getting into awful genocidal territory that gets into some really bad stuff. So when you're interfacing with a simplistic view of your own personality or your own self and feeling like the other, the outside world needs to accommodate yourself, then you're trying to make people who are not themselves or understanding themselves into a version of yourself that you don't fully understand. (laughs) And so that again, gets really muddy and tricky and frankly, downright dangerous. So all I'm saying as I'm ranting and raving at this point is that introspection has a greater impact on the outside world than any forceful impact that you feel like you can have by being forceful to the outside world. And so your introspection, your ability to stop unconscious projections, your ability to not take on the demons of the world, your ability to not, deflect, your ability to understand yourself. And again, this is not about hyper self-discipline. This is just about understanding your tendencies to not let them control you or run you because you are not what you observe, which is yourself, your perception of yourself. If you are not, if you're able to observe your mind or your heart or your gut or your nervous system, or any uh, asp anything that you ob- you can observe is not you. And that gets into some like really other crazy stuff that I should probably stop. <laughs> but um when you start to get into that territory, you know, things really really get real. But all I'm saying is that introspection is a powerful tool for changing the world. It is a powerful tool for improving relational challenges, right? There's a reason that when you start to grow as a person or that I've started to grow as a person, that people around you start to get triggered by it because they can't put their stuff on you anymore. Their stuff doesn't have anywhere to go and they are starting to be forced more and more to deal with their own stuff. And truly the world would become a better place if, if people were able to introspect, if they were able to, analyze and understand or feel or see just simply see what they're experiencing, why they're experiencing it and why they're so desperate to get rid of it. And what that, what happens when they get rid of it? You know, many of the challenges of the world happen because it is so easy or feels so easy to just offload our shit onto someone else. And if we are taking personally, you and I, having this conversation, if we ourselves are able to not do that, then I think we are making the world an exponentially better place by every person interacting with us, getting an opportunity to not just offload their stuff onto someone else and therefore think everything is okay, but maybe they get an opportunity to have something reflected to them or get an opportunity to... Feel like their tools that they feel like they have, their personality strategy isn't going to work in every context, that they might have to think about something else another way. And usually there are limits that we, pers- that we, that are really hard to perceive. There are limits that are difficult to perceive when it comes to our personality strategies of offloading all of this gunk onto someone else. And we have to hit that limit for us to grow, you know, at some point you realize that like one of the reasons I started to dive into personalities, cause I got tired of myself. I got tired of like my strategies were not working for me anymore. At some point they were, um, with me being deflective of judgment and being, uh, uh overly assertive and, um, trying to put all of my focus on other and the outside world. And so ultimately what I'm saying is that at some point you're probably starting to get tired of yourself (laughs) and that's why you're listening. Um, and I think the, the antidote to that is that it's not about judgment. Like when I talked about getting tired of myself, that was the beginning of that judgment piece. Like introspection is going to start with some form of judgment. It's going to happen to some degree or another um but then when you start to transform that into just noticing it's not about uh making yourself think different thoughts or feel different feelings though you can probably start to do different things um but your thinking and feeling are things that are emerge that are, that emerge they are responses they are things to just look at and notice and that begins to create that separation between noticing self and that your thoughts are not you your feelings are not you they are things that you experience They are things that pass through you. There are things that, that the more you try to hold on to a specific thought or feeling, the more that your body is collecting things that are not the resources that it needs to be nourished properly, that thoughts or feelings are not things to cling to, that if you let them pass, then you're going to be having a much healthier growth experience for yourself and for the people in your life around you. At various scales. So, who? Okay, I was trying to land the plane like 20 minutes ago. I said this was going to be a short thing at the beginning, but you know things happen, and I've had a lot to process lately. And here we go, lots of processing. But I do think that introspection is such an incredibly powerful tool. It's something I've done since I was really little because I felt like I was dealing with mental health stuff from like 11 years old. You know, I had have a lot of karma. I have a lot of personal stuff. And um, that's another book I can, oh, excuse me. Sorry, that came out of nowhere. There's like gases coming up. I apologize. Um, (laughs) There's nothing I can do about that. Um, There's a book called Karma by Sadguru, S-A-D-H Guru, G-U-R-U, that talks about what karma is. Karma is not a consequence. It's not like some external force judging you. But karma is the accumulation of your experience and understanding it it's, it's sort of a way of taking karma and transitioning from like a judgment piece into just like a noticing piece. Like this is just what happened and the emergence, the emerging properties of what happened. I think it's a really powerful book for that. So karma, there is an audible version of that. So if you go to audibletrial.com slash dopamine, D-O-P-E-A-M-I-N-E, you can uh, check out that and, um, that will subsidize the channel. So to wrap all of this up, Um, we do have on January 27th, uh, 2022 at 6 PM, we are doing for my INTP friends. We are doing a vision casting, uh, workshop for INTPs. It's basically creating a vision for INTPs and creating a vision, meaning that there is a difference between vision and goals. And I think we get very goal oriented, especially if you live in America, um, goals are kind of rigid. And for us to be at our best as NPs, that we need to be more flexible and that we are constantly reacting to external circumstances and changes and awarenesses. And so for us to properly cast a future for ourselves, to pick a trajectory, we need to probably start to think more in terms of vision and what we want in more of a a vague sense, as opposed to trying to get too specific, because if we get too specific... Then it becomes stressful when circumstances change, which are hap- which is happening all the time. Uh, NJs or judgers in general tend to have a better time, or tend to have uh, a greater ability and desire, and the chemical response to change the outside world, or to to have to affect um, circumstances or behaviors, or, or influence things in a way that puts uh, their goals in their favor. And they, they have a, a way to navigate to that goal. Whereas perceivers were just, you know, so responsive to the outside world that, uh, you know, it's, it's that endpoint is going to change, but the general vague, not vague, but the general gist of what it is that we want, um, may still come to fruition, uh, if we are to cast a vision instead of setting a specific goal. So the workshop dives deeper into that, discussing cognitive functions and and how we can use those functions to um, create a vision for ourselves and to, you know, potentially workshop your specific vision, your specific context on that workshop, uh, because I can only talk in vagaries unless you tell me more about your context. Maybe I can help you figure out that vision for yourself. So if you go to dopamine.teachable.com or dopeintp.com or dopaminepodcast.com, they all go to the same place. Um, there is at the bottom of the page, it's called creating a vision for INTPs, uh, for the new year, um, or some, some version of that. Um, so click that you can sign up for that. And then I will send you the zoom link uh, basically right before the webinar starts. Uh, it's $19, it's a very low cost investment for a way for you to develop a good grounding for the year. I think it's a really great way for you to start and recalibrate and get yourself going. So hopefully this podcast has been really helpful for you to understand why introspection is valuable and how to start introspecting for yourself uh, and why mostly, mostly why there's a difference or how, uh, or, or just discovering the difference between introversion and introspection. They're not quite automatically the same thing. So I got to go inside, eat some Chipotle, go hang out with the wife and, um, you know, enjoy the rest of my day. So I hope that you have a good new year. I will see you in 2022 where there will just be probably more podcasts. And, uh, I appreciate you so very much. Thank you for being a fan and a friend and, uh, leave some love at, uh, uh, dopamine podcast at gmail.com. If you have any questions, concerns, uh, et cetera. So much love, take care of yourselves and each other, and I'll catch you next time on dopamine. See ya. This has been a C note media production. <laughs>